you may have heard these kind of like, I'd call it these major AI folks being doomers and saying, oh, AI is like a huge risk and it's going to you know ruin the world. And really what they're, they're attempting to do is perform regulatory capture where they get the US government and the EU and other regulators to come in and make it harder for little players to come in and innovate. That is the double-edged sword that we have to be really aware of here, where on one hand, yes, this is, it's important that we have privacy for consumers. On the other hand, there is a risk whenever we add these regulations that we are burdening innovation in key tech sectors. So I would say if you're a marketer listening to us, it's really crucial that you prepare for this future of not just demand capture, not just you know easily targeted ads, but also true demand generation. Hi, welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Grober, president of Blast Media, and I'll be both your host and your bartender today. I had a great conversation with Connor Bronston, who is the director of marketing and communications at Linear B. And Connor and I dive into the world of data privacy. Now, this is a very timely topic as Biden just had an executive order all around the safe, secure, and trustworthy development and use of AI which really relates to you all marketers. So Connor and I are gonna talk about uh, what you need on your data privacy checklist, who should own it, and this whole world of building trust amongst your buyers. So if you care to, grab a drink and join me as I speak with Connor from Linear B. Hey Connor, welcome to SaaS Half Full. Great to be here, thanks so much for having me, Lindsay. I know you and I have not had a chance to meet. You have been a loyal, wonderful Blast Media client. We thank you so much. But glad to have you on the show. When we put a call out, I said, do we have any clients who have something interesting they want to talk to me about on this show? And lo and behold, you were recommended. So glad you were. I'm very touched. I think it's a fascinating topic that we're going to have to discuss today with online privacy and its impact on all of our lives. And this is actually something I'm very passionate about. So I shared with your team before the show, my original career before I got into marketing, before I you know started working in tech and business development was in politics. I was a political organizer. And all the way back in college, I was involved in posing the, the SOPA Act, which is a controversial United States bill called the Stop Online Privacy Act. And anyone who's a Redditor out here may remember Test Pack and some of the ads we ran from Reddit. But essentially, I, I've been involved in net neutrality and looking at online privacy for a long time. So it's really interesting now for me to be on the other end and say, okay, now I'm a marketer. And well, well, I still philosophically believe in online privacy, like there are some challenges this creates when you're trying to target folks with ads. Absolutely. And uh, you are likely unique in that background of having worked in politics on this particular issue by happenstance, or maybe that is why you're in the position that you're in today. You and I scheduled this interview on pretty short order. So we do have a cocktail kit on its way to you, but it didn't make it to you in time. So I'm drinking alone and it's okay. You are drinking a something. I have a, a lovely uh, self-sparkled water. We've got a soda stream here at home and I've got uh, some, some lime flavored seltzer water. So well, I am um, doing something worse for my body, which is drinking a vodka lemonade at three o'clock on a Monday. Yay me. Um, Sounds delicious so, though. <laughs> it is. It is delicious. It's just a little bit aggressive to start the week, but here we are. So you and I are going to dive into the world of data privacy. Most of our listeners are SaaS marketers. We may have some SaaS founders and leaders, but by and large, are going to be SaaS leaders. You all know data privacy matters. So when Connor and I were talking pre-show, I said, we're going to have to go beyond that it's important. I think we checked the box. I'll understand that. But there has been some things recently in the news and in legislation that are making sort of this topic bubble back up to the top. But before we dive in, Connor, I do want to give our listeners understanding of your current role at Linear B and then uh, what Linear B does. Why do y'all exist? 
Yeah, happy to. So if you don't mind, I'll start with Linear B, then I'll drill down into my role. So Linear B, we are a software delivery management solution. We think we're the best in the market. And what we do is we help software engineering teams be more efficient and deliver better results for their business. In particular, we help every stage of the engineering team to do that. At the leadership layer, we're helping leaders allocate resources better, helping them understand where their workflow blockages on their teams, and helping them to make sure their teams have improved developer experience and are happy, are performing well, and frankly, are sticking around. At that kind of mid-management layer, we're helping teams and team leads to actually deliver on results, to understand are something as simple as like pull request PRs with the pieces of code that are trying to go into be merged into the actual you know, main application. Are those getting to the right person? Are they programmed in the right way? And then at the dev level, we're just trying to make devs have less toil, have less headaches, have less overhead. So I would say any company that is a tech-based company that has software development as a key part of their infrastructure, you should look, check out Linear B. We have a free product, a free dashboard, along with these programmable workflows that can help your devs save time every day and will help get the visibility your leadership wants and needs. And then on the personal level, I am a director of marketing here at Linear B. I was actually recruited in, God, close to three years ago now to lead our podcast. So we, as part of you know a corollary to this whole data privacy thing, we've seen for a long time at Linear B that there was going to be less options to do direct targeting in certain areas. I think we all have heard this term dark funnel. We've looked at dark social, all these things people I know of listening are familiar with. And so we were very early adopters on this belief of, okay, we need to have our own first party media brand that we develop. We're not the first by any means, you know, the hustle, which was, you know, later purchased by HubSpot is a great example of folks doing this really well. There's been plenty more, but we started Dev Interrupted back in 2020 and have built a community of over 15,000 engineering leaders who listen and read our content every month. I co-host the show. I help run our corporate marketing team broadly, doing everything from brand to growth. And uh, that's a bit about me. Yeah. I love that. So Dev Interrupted, if y'all didn't catch that. And I'm guessing that can be found on just your favorite podcast platform. Exactly right. Dev Interrupted. You can also find us on Substack at devinterrupted.substack.com. Check us out wherever you want to consume it. We are there for you. Love that. All right. Let's dive in here. There has been a recent executive order. We talked about this and I'm going to have to read it because it's a mouthful. It was an executive order by Biden called Safe, Secure, and Trustworthy Development Use of Artificial Intelligence. Talk to me about this. Overdue, preemptive, not necessary thoughts, and then break it down for us. Yeah, a couple different things on this. One, I'll just say, if you're in the camp of folks who thinks, oh, you know, we're overreaching, I think you just need to understand that that's not realistic because... Europe has already done a multitude of things around privacy with GDPR. And, you know, we've seen the EU leading there. We've seen companies like Apple making it harder to, you know, track users. And this is something that consumers want. And frankly, if we look at trying to make sure folks aren't being controlled by authoritarian regimes and some of these like broader concerns, it's a necessity in our digital world. So much of our lives happen online. Having there be some privacy and some expectations around that are huge. I mentioned personally, I'm a fan of net neutrality, which is no longer a thing, sadly. And in the case of this executive order in particular, I have complicated feelings around it. One, I think it's great that we're trying to address online privacy 
it's something that, you know, obviously constituents want. If you look at all the polling, it's something people are very passionate about. People prefer to choose to give away their privacy, whether that's, you know, using TikTok or other options here versus have their this expectation be that anywhere they go, they're giving their privacy away. However, I think we're also experiencing attempted regulatory capture by several of the major players in the industry, like OpenAI and others. You may have heard these kind of like, I'd call it these major AI folks being doomers and saying, oh, AI is like a huge risk and it's going to you know ruin the world. And really what they're, they're attempting doing is perform regulatory capture where they get the U.S. government and the EU and other regulators to come in and make it harder for little players to come in and innovate. That is the double-edged sword that we have to be really aware of here, where on one hand, yes, this is, it's important that we have privacy for consumers. On the other hand, there is a risk whenever we add these regulations that we are burdening innovation in key tech sectors. So I would say if you're a marketer listening to us, it's really crucial that you prepare for this future of not just demand capture, not just, you know, easily targeted ads, but also true demand generation. This is things like I mentioned, you know, we're running a podcast as one of our key flywheel places. It doesn't have to be the right choice for you. Maybe it's short form video that you really need to lean into and you want to be doing two events a week that kind of forms this flywheel effect for you. And then you turn that all into, you know, six, seven snippets every week. And that is like your key mechanism. But whatever it is, like we are seeing every platform begin to prioritize in platform engagement, whether that's you know LinkedIn or Twitter or elsewhere. I mean, look at what Elon's done with Twitter and how it's now harder to see what's happening in a news story on Twitter as they've cut pieces of that. And now what he's really trying to do is keep people in platform. And you're going to see that happen with any of these big players. And it's the exact same methodology that's being attempted by some of these major players on regulatory capture. They're saying, okay, how do we capture the eyeballs? How do we keep them in our platform? If you're a marketer today, you need to be prepared to win eyeballs on a platform and not just redirect them where you want to go. Right. And you, when you think about is the conversation in marketing today is off around personalization, right? And one to one and, and say, you know, customer segmentation. How do you strike a balance? Because these two words don't necessarily fit together between personalization and user privacy. Yeah, I'll be honest. I think people get overexcited about personalization sometimes. Like, yes, personalization is great, but I actually think the more powerful thing is giving away great free information through content. I think that's really the future of where the internet's going. You can look at any influencer that's successful. What they've done is they've given great content people wanted to see or to read or consume in some way away for free. And that's what companies should be doing as well. Whether that's through you know executive accounts that you're building up or your main company account. I mean, you can look at some incredible examples out there like I'm sure everyone's familiar with, you know, the Ryanair social media presence, for example, where they've done this amazing job of having this like interesting personalized voice that people want to consume it. They seek out that content. And you can look at B2B, you can look at someone like Refine Labs and what Chris Walker has done to really build up his voice as the executive who is now bringing people into his company in the B2B space. There are plenty of great marketers out there who are doing this. Dave Gayhart, you know, comes to mind really easily. I'll shout out a friend of mine, Millie Tamati, who is doing this for generalists and building community. There's a ton of folks who are doing this, whether it's as leaders of in-house marketing teams or as individual B2B influencers. And I think we need to not be afraid of looking at, you know, the Tim Davidsons, the others of the world and saying, okay, like these people are learning how to win eyeballs in platform and build trust. And that's what really gets buyers to convert online today. Because yes, our sales team may want us to take away pricing on a website so they can you know, maneuver the pricing more in the background. But that's not how buyers want to buy today. Buyers want to be able to sign up with single sign-on. They want to be able to try out the product for free. They want to be able to upgrade easily. And they're going to do that if they trust you. Like, yes, I understand enterprise deals still take longer, 
but you need to start getting people in there and get that signal. And the better way to do that, instead of trying to over-engineer around some of these privacy issues is to actually approach this as, okay, how can I get people to come to me? And I'm not saying you should ignore all marketing automation. I'm not saying you should ignore all paid ads or anything like that. It's still a great way to scale when you're having success. But I think a lot of people underestimate the importance of really good organic content. Yeah. It's really interesting. You bring up the word trust. We had a whole, like a half day of internal task force where we identify a problem and then we have people volunteer within our, our agency to help bring potential solutions. And one of them was around thought leadership. I'm using air quotes now for people that, that aren't watching of breaking through the noise. And the big outcome of that is that it's not about breaking through the noise because there's too much noise. Like it were to the point where it is always going to be noisy. Like there's no breaking through that. It's creating trust. Like trust is the most valuable marketing currency right now. Like we've literally just had this. This was last Wednesday. We had this discussion. So I completely agree with you. If you build it, they will come mentality. You build trust by creating value and saying that, you know, this is for you versus trying to cut through all of the noise and figure out how to market to these people. But that is a big mentality switch, Connor. That's not what marketers have been working towards. You know, I mean, especially here over the last year, right, which has been pipeline, 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 and only investing in things that are going to have immediate short-term gain. That's a different mentality. And that's going to be a, a tough brain lever to switch off. Yeah, I think the challenge we have is a lot of us are looking at cost per lead and we're saying, oh, like here's this early indicator of success of a program that is easy for me to track and understand. And not enough marketers are looking at the holistic piece of the funnel and saying, okay, what's my actual customer acquisition cost across this mix of media channels? And when you start doing that, you can actually see some of the impacts that you're having around source pipeline on things like social that maybe from a time investment early on, you're not going to see it, but six months down the line, you're going to see this pay off in a huge way. I'll use ourselves as an example here. Our two co-founders are both former VPs of engineering. They built the tool that they wanted when they were VPs of engineering. They said, okay, how could my team be more efficient? How can we get more visibility for the business? How can we deliver more accurately and higher quality code? And as part of that, our main host for our, our podcast, and this, this who's written all these great thought leadership blogs, Dan Lines, our co-founder, he gets what the audience wants. And it's taken us a couple of years to get to the scale we're at. You know, those first couple episodes we did of the podcast, a couple hundred listeners, maybe kind of thing. And that's with some paid support, but we've built an incredible organic community. And now whenever we talk to deals, we hear folks go, oh, I've listened to your podcast for the last year. I've listened to it for the last two years. I read your newsletter. I used to be in your Discord community and was really active there during the pandemic. And that's why I heard about you. And that trust, whenever we have a founder show up in some of these deals, some massive enterprise deals, I'll have one of the founders jump on a call and they'll go, oh my God, I've listened to you, you know, on, on my way to work the last two years. Like, it's so great meeting you. And that is going to win you business. And I'll say like, I don't even think we're doing something as well. Like we don't do a good job with our founder social profiles. There are other folks who are doing better jobs there. There are huge opportunities, but it, it does take time and you have to build the trust within the organization to let you take that time and do it well. Let's stay aboard the trust train. How do you recommend that folks build trust with their customers regarding handling of their information? Great question. I mean, there's some, some clear standards you can do. So in our case, you know, obviously we've gotten our SOC 2 some of these compliance standards are, I think, really important just to signal that you care about this. It's important to have like a resource center for customers who can look at like security resources, where we're on compliance, et cetera. The other big one I'll say is communicating outages or breaches. I mean, in this world, you will eventually have a breach. You will eventually have an outage. It's just a reality of 
the major increase in cybercrime that we've seen worldwide the last five, 10 years and the major potential on the internet for it. And you can look at, I mean, Las Vegas this year and the casinos shut down for weeks there. I was there for a conference and they were using Gmails because their email server still weren't working. And no matter the size of your business, you're gonna deal with something like this at some point. And you need to be very open and honest and highly communicative with their customers when these sort of things occur. Like there's a ton of things you can do on the security side, but at the end, what your customers are gonna respond to are how do you communicate with them? both on the marketing side and also when something goes wrong on the security side proactively and also in the worst case scenario. Yeah, we tell our clients the same thing about a data breach or an outage. It is not an if, it's a when. So get ready (laughs) in providing communication support and guidance on when it inevitably happens. Yes, and we say the same thing. You need to admit it and we're going to do fix it and we're going to ensure it doesn't happen again. It's because it is inevitably going to happen. And, And we've actually had clients too who will openly talk about it with the media also saying this happened, <laughs> right? It's going to happen to all y'all. This happened. And here's what we did about it. You have a unique background and that you worked, you know, in politics, even working with net neutrality, worked in data privacy prior to your role as a marketer, the chief marketing officer role. Well, number one, it's my opinion, the hardest job in the C-suite. <laughs> it has changed so much. There's a reason that the tenure is so short, but as it relates to data privacy, like what skills or knowledge or certifications or trainings are crucial for a, whether you're a CMO or an SVP of marketing to have before taking on a big role? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting one because it's evolving so quickly here with the executive order and their pieces. I've mentioned a couple of times, I have this belief in we need to start adjusting how we think about marketing. And yes, we should try to understand the funnel from let's call it traffic through MQL all the way down into close one. But I think you need to be willing to adapt your strategy today. And I think you'll hear this kind of like generalized advice on, on many a career podcast of be a lifetime learner. But particularly in the CMO role, I think it's, it's crucial you be ready to adapt because marketing today is not the same as it was two years ago. It's not the same as it was 10 years ago. And it's certainly not going to be the same in two years. And I think as a CMO, if you want to have that long-term success, You need to be able to be humble enough to hire people who are smarter than you in some areas and identify and trust them and build them up. And you need to be willing to learn and listen to them because there are going to be things that you just don't have the time or the the deep expertise on certain areas to know, particularly things like data privacy as paid ads are changing. Or if we look at how SEO has so rapidly changed in the last year since ChatGPT had its kind of viral moment and exploded, you've seen Google adapting how they do search results. There's been multiple changes to the algorithm. They're trying to really focus in on snippets because now today you have a lot of folks, especially in younger generations who are using TikTok as a key area of search. You have the rise of AI enabled searches with Bing and people who are just natively asking ChatGPT and other types of AI for questions. And you've seen this kind of decentralization to some extent of what was this the most centralized, the most successful ad and search platform where everything was coming through Google. And now Google's having to react to that. And a lot of old SEO methods no longer work. And that's where I point it back to that, like continuing to learn piece. And I think a lot of that comes back to the data privacy side of things, because there's been such rapid innovation in AI and the impacts of that have been felt so broadly across the internet that now you're seeing folks like Reddit react and say, okay, well, our API is going to be much more expensive now. You're not going to just build a minus for free in the future. Is that a case of, you know, the cart has already left the bar and you're shutting the door afterwards? Uh, A little bit, but it's going to make training of models, which is going to be a crucial thing in the future. And that the data integrity around that even more important. 
And so if you are looking internally on the product side, you need to both understand how this is impacting the broader internet and how it's impacting whether paid search is the right medium for you or something else. And you also can be talking to your product team and saying, hey, how are we maintaining, securing, and cataloging our customer data and other data that we are getting from our application so that we can now leverage Gen AI in the future on it? One example in our case, we have a tool that is built into our platform called GitStream. It helps route pull requests to developers trying to cut down on kind of toil and increase efficiency. It saves devs hours of time every week, gives them more context. And we're already seeing massive companies like Uber who are leveraging their pull request data to create Gen AI suggested comments. So the whole idea is devs will go in and they'll create a comment to say, oh, well, here's how you should fix this code. And Uber's saying, well, great, we're going to do a first draft of AI. And then dev can review that. And they're seeing about $10 million in savings this year, they estimate. You know, we have a similar database. It's not as specific as Uber's. It's much more broader. And, and we're saying, okay, well, if we can improve our internal product knowledge architecture, why can't we be leveraging AI to suggest comments for hundreds of thousands of companies across the world the next year or two? So I think it's really important you think not only from how are you targeting ads, whether you're investing in SEO or these other strategies, or whether you're trying to invest in more in social and some of these like earn strategies, but also you're communicating that knowledge, the findings you're getting with your product team and making sure they're thinking about how they're leveraging data for the future. Because if you're a company that is not going to leverage its data internally, competitors will start to outpace you there. Yeah. Well, and that begs the question when you start talking about product teams and dev is, should marketing own data privacy? No. Marketing should be involved in data privacy, but I think you need highly technical folks to make sure you're nailing it. And what marketing should be is a stakeholder and a voice in that room. And there should be bi-directional communication. Let's say you have a CTO and maybe that security team and compliance team is sitting under the CTO. That's that's how we work function, I'll say, for example. There is a ton of bi-directional communication between our departments because not only do we leverage our CTO as an incredible thought leader, helping us get out there and communicate with engineering teams that frankly, we want as customers, but we are sharing insights back and forth about what he's seeing, how the work they're doing affects us. And we're also sharing what we're seeing in Mark, because that signal is really important to him to understand, okay, what are the things we need to build next? And unless your marketing org is one that has really incredible security practices and is thinking deeply about that data integrity, I don't think customer data privacy should be wholly on marketing. There's no question that marketing needs to own its own funnel. You shouldn't give away all the responsibilities of, I'm just going to use B2B here as an example, but like routing leads to sales, like that shouldn't all sit with sales. Like you need to have high involvement in that. You need to make sure your cataloging data great. And you should be communicating with product teams that, but you need security experts to help make sure that your company is, is taking the right steps. You need to make sure you have compliance experts. And frankly, most marketers are more concerned with the pipeline number than they necessarily are with some compliance regulations. And so I, I think actually I think it's important that that sits separately. I would agree. But, you know, we do have marketers of you know, companies of all shapes and sizes, and it might just be a VP of marketing and then the CEO. And I agree with you. It, it's an unfair ask to put that on your marketer or your, you know, marketing lead to say, well, what are you doing about data privacy? It's like, okay, I mean, what are you doing? What, I don't know. What is our sort of our risk profile? Like what, you know, the dear, dear CEO or founder, what, what is our risk profile? How, where do we sit? You know, what's our, what's our appetite for risk? But that's a big ask. To your point, there are smaller orgs where this is a bigger deal for marketing to hold on to. And especially, I would say, there are things marketing should never give away here. Like 
yes, you always need to care about you know how your email lists are being managed for just to use one example, right? You can't be violating can spam loss. These are some of the basics. But to me, that's really table stakes. And where I think the industry needs to look at is, okay, how are we maintaining our data so that we can leverage it down the line? How are we making sure that we're meeting compliance standards so we can land huge enterprise clients that really care about this and want to make sure that data is being held securely? And I tend to think that requires expertise that you're not usually going to find in a marketing department. Yeah, would agree. And lastly, if you could build a checklist of things that every marketing org should have in place as it relates to data privacy. And this can be meeting certain standards. This could be an off-the-shelf something. What would be in that checklist? So thinking about B2B marketing in particular, I think there's some quick basics you can think about. So I mentioned SOC 2 earlier, very basic compliance standard. I think if you're going to work with any sort of enterprise clients, you need a SOC 2 compliance. You need to be maintaining that. You need role-based access control for both within your own app, as far as enabling teams to you know have different levels of access, but you also need to have that within your own company so that not everyone is an admin on you know your WordPress site, for example, or in, not everyone's an admin on your Salesforce. I think you need a really strong partnership with whoever's owning security compliance in your org. And I, I mentioned that phrase, bi-directional communication. I think both of you educating and supporting each other is a really important relationship. And then I think we get back to the basics of like, it's great to be sending email, but if you have an outbound team, for example, that's maybe BDRs that are doing outbound, absolutely, they should not be doing it from the same domain as everyone else in the company. I know folks who have had their whole domain end up on spam lists and suddenly now nobody's emails are going out. Your marketing emails need to be going from a separate email domain than your personalized company emails and absolutely multiple separations from anything BDRs are doing that's going to get marked as spam. And you need to be paying attention to what's happening with GDPR, can spam it, and really understand that there are different regulations in the EU and elsewhere than in the US, and that you absolutely cannot be violating those. Because I know a lot of businesses will pick the US to, to really start in and say, okay, we're going to nail it in the North America, and you know maybe we'll, then we'll expand out. But you can't afford to be failing in the EU or elsewhere. And we also need to recognize that these same data privacy regulations that we talked about earlier are spreading. They are becoming the standard. It's the same way with California standard with electric cars, for example, and how that has become a standard across many states now, because they are such a large part of the US economy and kind of say, hey, this is the standard. And everyone starts to conform that automakers confirm. And it's the same thing with the EU where they, they have so much weight there. And we need to understand that this is where it's going and be prepared for the shift where it's going to continue to become harder to understand the nitty gritty details of how someone's reading your email. You need to become harder to understand exactly how you want to target someone. And you need to be prepared to give enough value to get folks to give you their information and have them be excited to hear from you. I've said a little tongue in cheek because maybe it's, they're just reading your content. Maybe they, they're signing up for email list. Maybe it's signing up for a Slack message channel or something else. But the way people buy today is not the way they bought 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And a lot of it's happening in communities and a lot of it's happening, you know, one-on-one conversations. And most buyers here have read, you know, seven plus things of yours before they are actually going in to buy a solution. We are, you know, reading your content. We are checking out your social media. We are going in to consume what you're doing in other ways. And you need to be prepared to both try to stitch that together as best you can on the marketing automation operations side of things. And you also need to be prepared to say, I am putting good content out in the world and people are going to consume it and come back to me. Because you're not always going to have the exact idea of like, oh, this is where someone's coming from. There are things you can do, like asking for, like one example is like a lot of folks you're using on their forums are now adding, how did you hear about us as an open text field? That's, that's a great example of something you can try. 
but that then adds its own challenge around cleaning data, understanding it, consuming it. So really to figure out what's right for your business, but you can't expect that it's going to get easier for us to target people in the future. It's not. Amen to that. Well, Connor, this has been awesome. Is there anything that we didn't tackle that you want to make sure that we cover today? No, this has been great, Lindsay. I really appreciate you hosting me. It's been a, a ton of fun. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'll just say like, if anyone listening wants to get in touch, I'm always happy to chat on LinkedIn. That's my kind of social media of choice, Connor Bronson on LinkedIn. I'll probably drop a link to the show notes or feel free to reach out over the Devon Rapid podcast at devonrapid.substack.com. I host a lot of those episodes. Always love to hear what folks are thinking, whether on the marketing or dev side. And uh, again, thank you so much, Lindsay, for everything you and Blast do and for having me on the show. Absolutely. And for those of you that have listened all the way to the end of this episode, thank you. Much appreciated. We have a, a final segment that I call One More Drink, where I ask all of my guests the same question, Connor, which is, what do you wish more CEOs understood about marketing? I think the thing that I would like CEOs to know is that the way they present themselves deeply matters to the perception people have of the company. And I think you see this in a few respects. You see CEOs who come from product or come from eng, who maybe are not prepared to get themselves out there as much as we would like them to. And that is a weakness for a company in, in those, some of those situations. And you also see folks who are coming from a sales side and trying to be too salesy. And there needs to be a partnership between CEO and between marketing leadership to understand how we want to present ourselves. It needs to line up with the company message. And CEOs need to be willing to take that step because in today's modern buying experience, B2B buyer is going to look to see, okay, who is a CEO? What are they about? What's their background? How do they present themselves? And there is a risk to both ends of the spectrum because you have folks like, uh, I mean, I'll use Flexport as an example because they've been in the news a lot. Anyone who's followed anything about Flexport and Dave Clark and that exit and how it's been handled with Flexport's founder kind of tweeting through it online, like this is going to turn people off to your business. And there are huge risks here. There are huge PR risks. There are, are risks to current and future clients. And regardless of how good your product is, you need to understand the impact that you as an individual have on the perception of your company. And that is a decision that should be made, not be taken lightly. Goes back to people buy from brands they like and trust. And that starts with a person. So I agree with that. Um, well, Connor, thank you so much. Do you have a favorite or a signature toast to send us out with your sparkling water? We can go pro. How about prost? Prost. Uh... I've had that before. Prost. I like that. Thank you so much, Connor. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Great being here. Thanks again to Connor for joining me on SAS Half Full. Really interesting conversation and shockingly one that we have not visited before, this topic of data privacy. Highly relevant right now. Hopefully you all took a couple of things away, potentially a checklist, or maybe opening your eyes to a conversation that you need to be having with your security and compliance team. Always appreciate the listen and until next time, bottoms up.